This summer marks the 25th anniversary of my marriage to Carolyn, the beautiful woman who is uh, teaching the children this morning. I know you look at me and you say, I can see that you've been married for 25 years, but when you look at my wife go, 25 years, let me do the math. How old was she when you married her? Because she's very young looking, but I assure you we're both 49. And so this, uh, this summer is going to be a really significant time for us, a lot of milestones. We'll both turn 50 and uh, we'll both celebrate our 25th um, anniversary. 25 years ago this spring, after 11 months of dating and five months separated by a thousand miles, because I had moved to Florida right after we got engaged in Washington, D.C., uh, we met uh, for the final time in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, before we would say goodbye to one another and then get together a month later and be married. And uh, this was a significant distance, the thousand miles, because this is pre-internet, this is pre-cell phone, this is pre-texting. If you wanted to communicate over a thousand miles, you either had to pay a dollar a minute for your long distance or you had to send a letter. Uh, And you didn't have any way to type it out, so you had to actually literally write it out by hand. And so communication was a, a challenge. And we had been apart for a few months and we were saying goodbye to one another in the parking lot of a, of a Hardee's, which is Carl's Jr. on the East Coast, for those of you who don't know. And as we were saying goodbye, we both started to sob. And, and it was just, it was a, just a, one of those moments where we just felt like we were tearing ourselves away from each other. And I'd never really experienced that. Um, and certainly Carolyn, uh, you know, this was, I was one of her first really serious boyfriends And so this was a significant moment for us for really three reasons. These tears shed in the parking lot, I call them. Uh, One was that our tears and the pain we were feeling at uh, being separated from one another um, showed us both how much we genuinely wanted to be together. And secondly, it was officially the last time we'd say goodbye to each other as single people. And then thirdly, it was officially the last time Carolyn cried when I left home to travel for a while. (laughs) Uh, uh, Since she's been married to me 25 years, when I announce to her that I'll be gone for two or three weeks, she's generally like, well, it's kind of a modified cheer. She's trying to be polite, but it's like, oh, thank the Lord, my high-maintenance husband is going away for a little bit. She loves me, but she has journeyed a long, long way with me, and for that I am grateful. Uh, That was a painful memory, but it was sweet in a sense. I mean, you know, I wept halfway down the interstate for half an hour, and and I just just found myself uh, in this really bizarre place of being blissfully in pain. And if you've never really been in love, then you may not have any idea what that means. But I can assure you that it is a real sense that you love someone so much that they have the opportunity to harm you. They have the opportunity to uh, cause you to miss them so much that you're sick to your stomach. Um, real relationships, love and real relationships, they, they inevitably produce these kinds of feelings if they're healthy. In our study in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is now expressing these similar type of feelings and thoughts of love to a church with whom he has had what we'd call a tense relationship. And if you'll listen to last week's message as a way of transitioning into this week's message, you'd, you'd know that he's going to begin our second chapter 
to this, this, in the second letter to the Corinthians with effectively summarizing what he'd been saying, which is to say from verse one, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. So he has kind of told them why, and that was really what we covered last week, and then he transitions to a couple other thoughts by saying, you know, I had determined I was not going to do this again. Now, let me review for you his journey to this point. He had had a pleasant visit to Corinth that you can read about in the book of Acts where he started a church, developed some really great relationships. And then he left, and he sent his apprentice, Timothy, to deal with the Corinthians, and that didn't go so well for any number of reasons. So you had a pleasant visit, then you had a Timothy follow-up failure visit, and then Paul writes what's called a painful letter, hoping that they would respond, and they did not respond. Then he wrote, or then he did a painful visit. So he's got a painful letter, a painful visit, then he writes a second painful letter, and then it comes to nobody's surprise that about the time he needs to write or visit again, he says to them, I'm not going to make another painful visit. This doesn't shock me. Because I can tell you in many of the relationships, and I say this to my shame, many of the relationships I've had in my life, I abandoned ship well before the point where Paul is still enduring with the Corinthians. I would do, like perhaps many of you, we wouldn't make it past the first painful letter rejection. And then it's like, okay, forget it. Never mind, we're not going to be friends anymore. I can't deal with this. Selfless love is what Paul is demonstrating to the Corinthians. His love for them is an enduring love. And unlike the love I have demonstrated to some over the course of my soon 50 years, uh, it was not an attempt to try to quickly fix people. Paul could have visited Corinth. He'd have been right apostolically he had the authority to open up a can if you will to go there and call out their sin and tell them what he thought and get really impatient with them and actually he opted not to do that he opted instead to be patient and to let the Holy Spirit do his work on the Corinthians now this requires this approach requires some humility on your part and on my part Uh, impatient, harsh people demonstrate by their impatience and their harshness with others that they haven't really received as much grace from God as they think or as they need. Because what happens is, is they've not received a patient. They don't see themselves as needing patience. And so they don't see God as being Or perhaps they're just sad people and they just can't imagine God would be patient with them. And so they actually ironically become impatient with others. I've discovered that the harshest people in my life, and this is certainly true of the way I have treated others, are people who have not experienced a lack of harshness from God. As I mentioned last week, they haven't filled up enough in their soul with that type of love and that type of patience to be able to extend it to anyone But because of his experience with Jesus, the gospel that Paul proclaimed bound him to the Corinthians in the same way they were bound to him. And so today I would like to take a look at these first four verses, and really verses 2, 3, and 4 from 2 Corinthians 2 
to give us a sense of what we could learn about our own relationships through Paul's experience with the Corinthians. Got two, two thoughts for you today. Here's the first one. Paul needed the Corinthians. Paul needed the Corinthians. So you have to listen to what Paul says here. For if I cause you pain, he says in verse two, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And as I wrote, as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. There are two senses in which Paul needs the Corinthians. You can hear that he's saying, I receive joy from you. You are a source of great life and excitement for me. The first sense that Paul has in this context is that he sees them as friends and equals, enough so that the tension between them caused him pain. Paul could very easily, and I've heard many a mega pastor of our day say something of the sort, I am a super prophet and therefore I have to kind of sort of callous myself to the concerns of people in my church. I have to put a barrier between me and the complaining, disobedient Corinthians. But this is not what Paul did. They were friends of his. He allowed their problems with him, misguided as they may have been, misinformed as they have been, he still allowed them to cause him a bit of pain. He didn't quickly say, "This, this is painful, I'm gonna walk away from this. He considered them his friends. Now let me tell you why this would be important. Because someone of Paul's stature, it would have been almost unthinkable to the Corinthian people that he would be concerned about their little sniping and their little misgivings and their big misgivings. It would have been very difficult for them to imagine that he was interested in them. You live here in Los Angeles and you can imagine trying to get the attention of a celebrity. And if they actually did acknowledge you, you'd have to wonder, are they attracted to you? Is that why they're acknowledging you? Or what, are they, what do they stand to get from you? Because they're always being picked at. You know, people want their money, they want their attention. And so if a, if a celebrity actually stops to pay attention to you, that would make you think, wow, I, I must have something on the ball here. If you're a business person and, and, and Bill Gates stops in a mega seminar of thousands of people and acknowledges you and says, you did a, I know you, that would make you feel like a million dollars. Well, this is Paul's stature in the world of the church in the first century. And the Corinthians would have thought, okay, he's, he's Paul. He's kind of out there. He's kind of distant from us. They would need to know that he thought he was a friend to them. He needed them. They were friends of his. One of the guys that was in my wedding 25 years ago, I won't mention his name because it probably wouldn't be polite. I had a notion that he and I were really good friends. Uh, We knew each other in high school. We had very similar faith stories. Uh, My time uh, with him as a high school student was really important to me. Uh, I, I found myself... Uh, the memories that we'd shared together were super and 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 so when it came time for me to pick five groomsmen for my wedding I said you know I want him to be one of them and so he came and you know and I really enjoyed him being there we laughed a lot 
And then a year later, he got married. And I got a note, you know, hey, uh, uh, we'd like you to come to the wedding. And I thought it was odd. I thought, okay, well, I'm not one of his groomsmen. And at first I thought, you know, this, this sort of kind of feels embarrassing, a little bad, you know, that I'm not one of his groomsmen. But my wife, my brand new wife, was telling me, hey, listen, don't read too much into it. Let's drive to the wedding. Maybe it's just a small wedding and, you know, it could be just like a single groomsman. So I said, okay, you're right. Not going to feel bad about this. We get to the wedding and he has nine groomsmen. <laughs> I wasn't even in this guy's top 10. And it was ironically the last time we talked, you know, because I was, I was really embarrassed. I was like, gosh, I thought more of this relationship than clearly he did. And so Paul wants and, and really makes an effort to let the Corinthians know, you're important to me. This affect your behavior, your life, it affects me. Uh, you're important to me. Imagine what that would have meant to you and I. It's also supposed to depict the love and pursuit of God to them. That's the goal of a mature Christian. And here's the second thing for a mature believer to recognize. And that is that not only Paul seeing them as friends, but Paul needs them because of the value their relationships bring to his life. Paul is effectively saying, if I don't get joy from you in Corinth, I get it from no one. If I don't get it from you, I don't get it from anyone. Now, what is this joy? And why would it only be accessible through other believers? And this is really critical to see here. And that is that Paul is reiterating what he commented about what Jesus said in Acts 20. Paul says, there's more joy in giving than receiving. I'm getting more, I get joy out of serving you. And if I don't have the chance to serve you, to engage with you, if I don't have a chance to be used by God to be a blessing to you, there's a joy that's missing from my life. In Acts 20, 35, Paul says, in all these things I've shown you, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. Now, I have a couple of quick life principles. I don't do a lot of life principles in the middle of a sermon sometimes because I feel very Osteenish when I do. Um, I don't love Joel. I'm so glad you're here today. Um, <laughs> this is my phone. Um, uh, so I have two things that, uh, I, well, four, uh, two thoughts, if you will, but I give you these principles because they actually come from the text, all right? And the first would be this, leading others is giving to others. So if you consider yourself a leader, but you aren't giving, you're not a leader. Leading others is giving. That's what it is. Time, talent, your treasures. If you consider yourself, I'm a mature believer, you'd actually look in the mirror and feel that kind of confidence. You'd say, I'm compared to other people, I'm mature. I would say, are you serving others? Are you giving to others? Do you give of your time? Are you uncomfortable at the level of which you say, I'm going to engage you? You the, the whole notion of a mature Christian who's so into themselves that they just don't have time for other people. I'm just so, I'm so important. If the more inwardly focused you are, the less mature you are biblically. That would certainly be the case too with regards to your talents. 
Do you see the particular skill sets you have as yours to be used by you for you? Now, I'm not talking about not taking care of those closest to you, your family or your really good friends. I'm saying, when is that ever a sacrifice for you? See, people that are leading, they serve, and and that's without question, Jesus would say that we can know where our heart is by where our treasure is. And so you can call yourself a mature believer, but if you don't give to God's mission in the world, and I mean of your finances, nothing I like to talk about a lot, but you can't get away from it in Scripture, we can tell a lot about ourselves by what we spend our money on. And if nowhere in your uh, accounting you could ever get to a place where you said, you know, look at how much I've given to God or look at how much I've uh, sacrificed for others, then you've got to start asking some questions about whether or not you're as mature as you actually believe you are. The second thought I'll have for you in this, this life principle is that love's only experienced by endurance. When relationships get tough, the tough get relating. How many conflicted relationships have you endured? I have to tell you again, this is not my finest hour. This is not the subject matter that I have found myself hitting home runs about. Uh, When relationships get uncomfortable for me, I tend to marginalize those relationships. Paul is not doing this with his people. I know that for many, this is what happens with their church experience too. They say, "I'm, I'm enjoying it. I really like it, but then you hit that culture shock you that we talked about last summer, six months or a year into your time with a particular church. Everything that you saw that was great now stinks to high heaven. The sermons that you used to love so much now have all of a sudden taken a right turn into crud. Uh, They're too long, they're too short, they're too shallow, they're too deep. The music, you know, it was so wonderfully inspiring and now it's too showy, it's too loud, it's too soft, it's too folksy. All of a sudden, and this is all of us, we can just get kind of cranky in our discontent. People don't love me. I don't love them. Maybe it's time for me to move on. This is what we do. We don't endure very well. Now, I have to because I'm the pastor, so don't get me wrong. I understand how I sympathize with you because I wasn't always a pastor. And when things got difficult sometimes or a pastor and I would have a disagreement or somebody in the church would be a source of irritation to me, I I would likely move on. But I would say people see Christ's endurance in us in many ways. It's not just about church. It's about our relationships Are we willing to patiently endure? You might not be able to tell by looking at me, but I ran cross country in high school. I was actually okay at it, so I can say that much. Um, My senior year, I was in the best shape of my life, and I went for a run one day, and I went by a guy's house who lived about four miles from me, and and I got him, and we ran for three or four miles, and towards the end of that seven or eight miles, I started to feel kind of high, and in my past, I've used some drugs. And so I can tell you that the, the, that the experience was very similar. I started to feel lightheaded. 
my body started to feel stronger than it normally does. Uh, it, it was the first time I'd ever experienced what is known as the runner's high, a second wind. You are right there at, in my case, it was eight miles. And all of a sudden, it's like I just started all over. And I ran another four miles. I ran a half marathon just for the heck of it. And I couldn't do it again. But there, that only happens when you train, A, and then B, you have to push yourself right to the edge of exhaustion before the second wind actually kicks in. You don't get the experience, the runner's high, if you quit at the first sign of difficulty. We, we know this verse. You've been to a wedding re- recently. You've heard it. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. This is the description of love that gets read at weddings, most of which fail. God has been very gracious to give me a wife who endures with me in spite of how stupid I am, or she probably would have left a long time ago. She has a lot of grace. But this is what the scripture says. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And here we go. Love bears all things. Believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Paul needed the Corinthians. He needed them for his own joy, but he needed them to know, I'm going to endure with you. I want you to see the love of God in me. I want you to be blessed by seeing this in me. I need you. Paul needed them. They weren't just a project to him. Here's the beautiful reality is that the Corinthians needed Paul too. Verse four, Paul says this to the Corinthians. For I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. See, the Corinthians needed to know the apostle Paul loved them, that their pain and their poor choices grieved him, not just For him, their poor choices, their bad moves, those things grieved him for them. Anybody who's had a rebellious child knows that feeling. The choices they're making are hurting them, and that causes me pain. Anybody who's had a relationship go by the boards because the person you loved started making really poor choices. You know, it's not just hurtful to you, You hurt for them because you love them. The Corinthians needed a love that was this real and this passionate. Paul's love was willing to speak truth to them, even if it caused them pain. And here's something really important to know. Love, both what you give and what you experience, is only experienced where pain is possible. If you have so isolated yourself and barricaded yourself in the world of your safety and there's no chance anybody's ever going to hurt you or you're going to hurt them, you're not going to get to experience love. If you fear rejection, and I'm like the poster child of fearing rejection, so you are not alone. You will never know love until you can let down that. And the only way we can let down that, that wall, 
is by trusting Christ to be important enough to us that we don't really care what others think about us. Love is only experienced when this kind of truth can be told in relationships. We have all these cultural slogans we use. Friends, don't let friends drive drunk. Well, I've rarely seen, uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, somebody who intervenes in the life of their inebriated friend or their drug-addicted friend. I've, I've never really seen a lot of positive response to that. You've got to love somebody enough to say, I'm taking your car keys. You know, that, I, you know who are you to judge me for being you know, a DUI? You're drunk, and I love you, and I love you enough that I'm going to take the car keys out of your hand And when you sober up, you might not be as mad at me as you are now, but I love you enough to do something that may embarrass you at this moment. You're going to walk home or call a cab. See, Paul loved these folks enough to say, I'm going to actually intervene. And he reiterates an important proverb. Proverb 27.8 says, Faithful are wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So if you've got a bunch of people around you kissing up to you constantly and telling you how great you are, you're missing out on some important life lessons. See, if you can let people close enough to you, they may tell you some things that you don't want to hear but are important for you to hear. In John 15, Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone laid down his life for his friends. Well, first of all, you see that You have to start saying, if we're going to love like Jesus loved, then we're going to have to do a couple of things like Jesus did, which means that we're going to have to be gracious but truthful, John 1, 14. We're going to have to be able to tell people truth, friends truth. We're going to have to be able to do it in such a way that makes them know that we love them. Now, laying down our lives for each other takes interesting implications for those of us who are sort of trapped in North American comfort, including comfort in our relationships having difficult conversations with people becomes a way of um, avoidance for us we, we protect ourselves from them effectively what happens is, is we don't love someone enough to work through the conflict at the very least point out to them where we've been harmed or grieved by their behavior instead we simply just shut off the faucet forget them ultimately the goal of our love for one another as the scripture says is to reflect the love of Jesus to love one another as he loved us to make the image as clear as I can we'll take our prism sign out front the brand new Brooks Potiger Lindsay Eastberg created sign you you may have noticed we're big on prisms around here well the metaphor is very clear the light of the love of God comes through this prism us a church and into the world in which we live our goal through us the light of God's love would bring glory to all people would help people to see the grace and kindness of God so that they'd follow him and this God agape love is the reason we reiterate the gospel here at prism over and over and over and over and over because we want to make darn sure that what we are saying to each other is in fact love that Jesus says he wants us to portray love one another as I've loved you 
Jesus, the incarnate God of all eternity. How did he love us? Well, here is the gospel again. God offered life in the Garden of Eden. We said no. He offers redemption to all, and we initially all say no. He then pursues and draws believers to himself by his spirit, and only then do we say yes and are forgiven and made right with God through Christ's righteousness. God continues to offer life through obedience to his word. Many of us, most of us, all of us often say no, but we're learning to say yes as we grow in our comprehension of his patient and enduring love for us. This is what Paul is demonstrating to the Corinthians. I'm enduring with you. You are a pain in the butt. But I'm gonna stick with you because I love you, because you're important to me, because you matter to me. I'm gonna endure with you. I need you. I love you. Yeah, you're doing some things that are funky, not good, displeasing to God. But I am going to demonstrate the gospel pursuit of you. I'm gonna pursue you, pursue you, pursue you in the hopes that you're gonna see Jesus in me and follow Jesus not me. 25, well, it'll be 26 years ago this spring, I went on my first and only blind date. It was with Carolyn. We went to Pizza Hut. (sighs) I'd love to tell you it was intentional, but I just only had so much scratch on me, and so, you know, Pizza Hut was what I could afford at age 23. I was able to see very early on, though, that it didn't matter to my, to my beautiful wife, my then soon-to-be girlfriend, soon-to-be engaged partner. I began to see that she didn't react like Pizza Hut, really, for her staying. That wasn't her thing. She, she engaged. We had a, a really good time with each other. And then so we set up a second date. And on that second date, she helped me distribute flyers for my lawn-cutting business, This is not suggestions for you young single men in terms of how you lure young women into your web. Uh, I would encourage you that there's probably better strategies for that than what you get here. So don't put these up there in my life lessons category as was earlier in the sermon. I would say though on our second date, I learned some things about her too. She was willing to do that. I did not know that she was seeing both you know, a guy who was just really real and a, and a guy who was hardworking. So she was looking for a guy kind of sort of like me. I'd, I wanted her to know that I worked hard. See, in this early part of the relationship, we, you're kind of showing what you like. You're, you're demonstrating what somebody can expect. Now, again, there's all kinds of challenges and difficulties, but the essence of of relationships is that we demonstrate our character by what we do. The goal of the Christian mission is that through our character, people would see Jesus. This, this is ultimately what we're after here in, in when, we say, when we use terms like, I want to glorify God. What that means is, is that when people see you being kind, they go, oh, God must be kind. That person's really kind. When they see you being patient, they go, wow, 
that person's amazingly patient with me in the way they're dealing with me. This makes me want to follow God more. I'm seeing something in your enduring love for me. This is Jesus showing himself in us, and this is why Paul didn't go to Corinth again. (laughs) It wasn't because he didn't have the right to or he was too chicken to. Paul was not avoiding pain, but instead taking another tack, inhaling a friendship, inhaling a relationship, and pointing them to a God who wanted them to follow him. The Lord wanted them to be obedient followers of his. But the question is, how does one become an obedient follower? Is it just by feeling like garbage, by being beat around by somebody who's authoritative? We say it's when you get a picture of the overwhelming grace and love of God, it should, biblically, it does, cause you to want to love him more. And so the problem is not you and I and our unholiness the problem is is that we don't have a clear view of his holiness that would show us wow this is somebody who doesn't have to endure with me but chooses to this isn't somebody who is obligated to love me but chooses to see it's his holiness his wonderfulness his majesty his glory that should make us feel I can't believe I got his attention He loves me that much. That makes me want to follow him. This is what Paul is appealing to in the Corinthians. And I pray that we would see that in this church. That we would see the glory and grace of God in such a way that collectively we'd love each other well, we'd love our community well, and mostly all of that would go to us loving God well. Let us pray. Our gracious Father, we're humbled that you have so amazingly pursued us. You have gone way out of your way to demonstrate your kindness. Father, I pray that we would see you as deserving of all glory and honor, but at the same time, somebody who is patient. And that would cause us to love you. I pray that it wouldn't be about our crazy love for you. It would be about your crazy love for us. Your endurance with us would cause us to bend our knee once again today to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. For we pray in your name.